0: Ecclesiastes is where we're going to be, chapter 12 this morning. You can turn there, please. We're going to be finishing out the book of Ecclesiastes today. Uh, If you're new here, uh, Solomon has been kind of researching life under the sun is what he calls it. Life um, under the sun is, is basically life without God. And he's, uh, he's going to wrap up, his, give us the results of his research this morning, the conclusion of the matter. He's been kind of just sharing this unique perspective of what life is like in a fallen world. And, and the neat thing is that Solomon has walked down every path that we can potentially go down uh, in this world, things that we think will lead to life, things that we think will lead to satisfaction. He's gone down these paths for us, checked out what's down there. And then he's come back and said, yeah, there's no life there. There's a, and he puts kind of like dead-end signs up for us so that we don't have to waste our time. That's, that's kind of the idea of what he's doing in, in Ecclesiastes. Um, don't chase after these things. It's like chasing after the wind is ultimately what he tells us. And so you, why bother doing that? You're never going to catch it. It's never going to amount to anything. If we choose to ignore our creator and try to find life in this world without him, we ultimately will find that there's no hope, that it's going to be meaningless. And so he reuses that phrase over and over in the book, vanity, meaningless. Futility is the idea. You're not going to find it. But the opposite is true as well. When we break through life, uh, just, you know, under the sun kind of thing, and and we get above that, where, where God is, we find out that there truly is hope. There is meaning. There is purpose. All of these things come into view. Everything changes at that point. So Solomon wants us to make sure that we understand that nothing about this life is going to make sense or be satisfying apart from knowing the one who made us. We need to know our creator. Once that comes in line, everything else really begins to fall into into the the way it's supposed to be. And so chapter 12 starts out with Solomon telling people to find their way to God as fast as they can. Okay, here we go. In, In Ecclesiastes 12, starting in verse 1, he says, Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, Before the evil days come, and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song, are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors, terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads. They are nails firmly fixed. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. So and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of many books there is no end, and of much study is a weariness of flesh. The end of the matter is this. After all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, every secret thing, whether good or evil. All right, so we're going to unpack this and make sense of Everything that was just said there, hopefully, because there's a lot of lot of uh, strange imagery and phrases in there. Uh, Solomon has a way of kind of doing that sometimes. So, verse one starts out with something we can all understand: "Remember your Creator." Um, This isn't simply a call to to think about God every once in a while. Um, A lot of people find a way to remember God when they when they get into a tight spot or get their back up against the wall. All of a sudden, it's like, "Oh, yeah, I remember. I remember. I need Him." Uh, We don't know where else to turn, so we. We we remember God at that time, but that's not what this is talking about. This is saying to be mindful of your creator all the time. And I remember this clearly when I became became a Christian at age 19. Um, I used to only think about God when I needed to, you know, when I was in in dire, dire straits and I had nowhere else to turn. I remember, you know, you'd be like laying in somebody's yard, you know, not doing well at all and making promises to God. Like, Lord, if you get me through this, I'll go to church on Sunday, that kind of stuff. I was good at that, but I didn't think of it much otherwise. But after becoming a Christian, I thought about him all the time. I didn't even have to try. He was just there. He was always there. It was so strange. Um, He became like my constant companion, my guide, uh, my comforter, and my friend. No matter what I was doing or where I was going, he was there. And that's still true today. It's never changed. That was 1986, and it is still that way still. There's a song we sing where it says, of God that he is our best thought by day or by night waking or sleeping his presence is our light and i think that way his presence affected everything it affected the things i said it affected the way i treated people the choices i made and it's been that way ever since remember your creator and do it while you're still young right the sooner the better is the is the idea you know the ironic truth is that we think that that life Without God is going to be somehow better than life with God. I don't know why we do that, but we, we think, you know what? I don't want to mess up my life right now. i got a lot to live for, so I'll, I'll get to God later. That, then I'll, I'll worry about the later. I'll get the good life out of the way, and then I'll go and you know, find Him. Life. It's like, what? That's ridiculous. It's so backwards. The longer we run towards sin and away from God, the more empty our life will be and, and the worse the consequences that, that we're going to have to face. That's just the reality of things. You know, hard living when you are young results in painful living when you are old. And that's true. I'm getting it. See, (laughs) physically, this is true. Relationally, this is true. Emotionally, this is true. And spiritually, this is true. So to that person who's putting off God and just saying, you know, uh, you know, I'll get to you at a more convenient time. I would just plead with you. You may not have as much time as you think. And there's no better time than the present. This will change everything for the better now. Life flies by, doesn't it? It's amazing. The older the, you get, the more the pace seems to increase. I don't know how that works exactly. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, summer felt like an eternity. When you were, you know. And now, it's like, didn't we just? Wasn't June just? Too, what happened? You know, now it's November almost. It, it just flies by. So remember your Creator before it's too late. Isaiah 55 says, "Seek the Lord." While he may be found, call upon him while he is near. He's calling now. He's near now. Today is the day of salvation is the idea. You know, when the day of death approaches, what will you be concerned about? If, you ever, if you've ever been around somebody when they're on their, their deathbed, um, they have a, a way of really focusing on what's important at that point in time. That's all they're, they're thinking about. They're thinking about the life they've, le- they've lived and the Creator that they have to face very soon. That's what's on their mind. That's what they think about. And it's sad to see people who grow old who have no relationship with their Creator. They have no peace, no hope, and no joy. Um, by contrast, uh, my father-in-law, uh, he, he just turned 90 this year. His name's Jim. He's uh, He just had kind of a scare in a couple weeks ago where... It, it, something kind of happened to him and, and it looked pretty bad. didn't look like he was going to make it. He had some kind of a brain infection and he wasn't himself. And we thought he was going home. But I, but I remember thinking this dude is ready to go home as more than anybody I've ever known. Not only is he ready, he, he can't wait. I mean, he loves his family. He doesn't want to just, but he is so ready to go home and to be with his Lord. He can't wait to just See his, see his Savior, see his God face to face, and be in His presence. That's all He wants. That's all He looks forward to. He has complete peace about that. He's ready. He's, you know, he's run the race. He's fought the good fight. He's kept the faith, and and he's left it all on the field. You know that 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 we use that phrase like there's. He didn't hold anything back. He's he's ready. He knows what he's going to hear when he gets there, and he can't wait. So I would just encourage you know don't don't assume that a relationship with God will come later. <laughs> If it's not important to you now, there's no reason to think it's going to be important to you later. Establish it today. Is God central in your life right now? Is he the one who sustains you now? If that's the case, then that means he'll be the one that does that for you later as well. So I I like just that idea. God's holding his hand out to you today. Don't slap it away. You know, I see people do that over and over again. It's like God is reaching his hand out to you and you're just slapping it away. How many times is that going to happen before he just doesn't offer again, you know, and I know there's a theological constraint that that I believe that he will, he will get his man, but, but don't mess with this. And by the way, how sad is it that we have to be told to remember our God? I just thought about that. You know, remember how sad, what the condition of man is so bad that we have to be told to remember him, to think about him. Hey, don't forget about God. You know, it's like, how is that even a possibility? Everything around us screams out that God is that he exists, that he's real, and we don't—we don't want to even just notice that. We don't want to see it. The fact that mankind has to be told to remember him just tells us a lot about who we are and what we're like. And it's amazing just to kind of look back in the Old Testament and, and look at all the times that God told His people to remember Him. Um, Numbers thirty or Numbers fifteen, in verse thirty-eight, he, he says, "Speak to the people of Israel and tell them." to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and to remember all the commandments of the Lord, to remember God. So it's the idea that you have to actually put stuff on your garments that have blue on them so that when you're walking around, you'll see this little flash of blue and go, oh, I remember God again. I mean, that's kind of the, you know, it's like we tie strings around our finger to remember things. That's sad that we have to do that. Or even the idea that what they would do in in the... In the Old Testament, if God did something amazing for them, they would build up these little monuments of rocks. Uh, we sing a song. I don't know if you've ever thought about this song. We sing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. You, you know, the song, there's a, there's a line in there that we sing that I wonder how many people even know what we're singing. But it says, Here I raise my Ebenezer. You ever thought about it? Does anybody know what that means? It's, it's not talking about, you know, Scrooge. It has nothing to do with that. That was this, this idea of this <laughs> monument of these rocks. That's what it's referring to. So he says, Here I raise this memorial. Uh, here by thy great help I've come. he said. That, that, so when they would walk by these things, they would go, oh, I remember. Remember that time when God did this thing for us? And I, it's good for us to erect these things in our own life because sometimes we forget how faithful he is and how good he is and, and how he's come through for us. And so that's why we do these things. We set up these reminders for that reason. But also in the Old Testament, God impressed on his people how important it was for them to think about him all day long, kind of like what I was talking to b- about before. Uh, there's things where he would say, you know, put these things on the frontlets of your, or, you know, between your eyes and all around. It, anyway, let me read. I'll do that because I'll mess it all up if I don't. <laughs> Phylacteries. Have you ever noticed the little boxes that the Jewish people would wear on their heads? That's the idea. It's like the idea of it being right up front so that you couldn't forget. That's, that's where we're at. Anyway, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, which we refer to as the Shema, uh, the Shema is, um, it goes like this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Now, what does that cover? The whole day. That's 24-7 situations What I was talking about. Then he says this. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. So that you just imagine that, you'll never forget it. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So it's the idea of you just never stop thinking about him. You never get to a point where you could forget. But it's amazing again, and if you go back and look at Jewish history, how quickly the next generation would forget about God. They would bring the law out, and they would be like, oh, we've never heard of this before. It's like, how does that happen? We have a responsibility as Christians to build that legacy, to teach it to our children, to teach it to anybody around us that will listen. The opposite of remembering your creator is to to ignore him or to deny that he exists. And, And I think we see plenty of that happening today. And if I were to ask you today in this room, you know, how many of you guys deny him or ignore that he exists nobody would really say that and yet functionally isn't isn't that how we live our lives very often we, we live as though he's not there we, we we do things as though he isn't right in the room with us sometimes that's how people live their lives they, they really don't want a lord that's what it comes down to they don't I have a daughter right now that just makes me crazy she won't listen to this so it's okay but she just flat out said that one time I actually asked her I'm like you believe all this is true, right? Yes. Why won't you follow him? And I just said, it's 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 because you don't want a Lord, isn't it? And she said, that's exactly right. And it was so hard to hear that. But she doesn't want somebody to tell her how she's supposed to do life right now. And so she's walking away from him. And that's what that's what people do. Remember your creator. You know, what is it that he wants us to remember? Well, remember that he made you. He stamped you with his image. He created you for his glory. You are precious to him. Remember that you are utterly dependent upon him. He holds your very life and your eternity in his hands. The very next breath you take depends on him. (laughs) That's how how frail we are. You know, having, having open heart surgery wakes you up. I just, you know, in May I had open heart surgery. Uh, I don't take for granted the next day. Like I used to, I know that at any moment I could be called home. And so make the most of what we, what we've been given, right? Remember that he sent his son to die in your place so that your sins could be forgiven and your life can be redeemed. Don't ever stop thinking about that. You know, that's one of those things that should never get old it should never, you should never grow tired of thinking about who Jesus is and what he's done for you. If, if that ever goes away, I don't know what to say. Something's off. You know, we talk about this at the, at the church a lot. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. And that doesn't mean that you need to get saved again every day. It okay. just means that you need to be reminded. I know some of you are going, well, maybe it does. Well, <laughs> no. <laughs> so we just need to remember his work for us. Because whenever I go to the cross and spend time there and think about who my savior is and what he did for me, it wrecks me every time. It just it, it reminds me of his love for me, that he would love a sinner, that he would substitute himself for a worm like me. It, it, it gets me every day. This is you know part of why we do communion as the church. You know what, what, is, what did he say? As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim what I've done. You proclaim my work on the cross. And he said, Do this in remembrance of me. And again, it's sad to think that we would, we would forget that, or we would not continually think about it, but we need to. So that's something he wants us to remember. He also wants us to remember the precious gift of life that he's given us. It matters to him what you do with it. It matters to him how you live. We need to remember that he's holy this, this passage, this section, ends with the fact that we will stand before him as our judge one day and give an account for what we do. Remember that as you live your life. You know, I think sometimes when we become saved, we have this idea of, like, we got to get out of jail free card, and now we just, you know, woo-hoo. And, and no, you still have to stand before him someday and, and give an account. Remember his commands, not as a burden, not as a weight on your back, but is a way that leads you to life. They're a delight. You don't have to do them. Jesus satisfied all the righteous requirements of God and the law. It's done. It is finished. You get to. You get to actually live in a a way that pleases him now. So remember these things. If you ignore these things, just see how that works out for you. See what unfolds next. It's like it's not good. It It ain't pretty. So enjoy your youth while you have it. But don't leave God out of it. The author's point is that life can be so much more enjoyable when you're young. So take advantage of it. But make sure you do it to the glory of God. You have, if, you know, I'm talking to the young people now. Sorry, older people. You know you know who you are. I'm not going to look. Uh, young people. Young people, you have strength, energy. You have vitality. Take it for granted because it just doesn't last very long. (laughs) All the older people are kind of going, yeah, amen. I remember feeling invincible when I was young. The thought of growing old just didn't even enter into my mind at all. And now here I am in my mid-50s. I went to the movie theater the other day for the first time in a long time. I haven't been forever. And uh, I almost qualified for the senior discount. (laughs) I was like, how did that happen? When did that happen? That's weird. I I know, um, I'm like a, I remember things. I don't know why, I just do. I remember names. Mike mentioned that. I remember things. I never forget meetings. I don't have to write things down. I just remember. And a couple weeks ago, I get a call at home. I'm at home, finished dinner. I'm getting into my comfies. I'm getting ready to settle in for the evening. And Chad calls and he's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. He's like, we have a meeting. You're late. What's you know I don't I never do that. I'm the guy that reminds the guys not to miss the meeting I'm not the guy that misses the meeting I've become the guy that misses the meeting That's weird Really weird Oldness sneaks up on you It doesn't announce its presence it just all of a sudden is there one day You know it's been well said that a sign of the onset of old age is when your your knees buckle but your belt won't <laughs> Some of you know that as well Pretty soon, it's like I'll be giving out fr- fruitcake as Christmas presents and thinking it's right. I don't know how that works. but what about pie? I, I don't know. I think older people do fruitcake. It's a, it's, a, it's a rule, I think. But, so enjoy your youth. Enjoy your youth while you have it, but remember your creator. The decisions you make when you're young will impact the direction of your life later. So don't, don't make any mistakes about that. If God is part of your life when you're young and you enjoy communion and companionship with him, It will carry on into your later years. And you're going to need it according to what Solomon writes next. So he has a way of uh, painting a a pretty depressing picture at times. And and, and he kind of does that in a fun way in in these next verses. So verses 1 through 7, they're actually one long run-on sentence um, where he kind of describes the, the fun journey of growing old. And one commentator suggested that the sentence is long on purpose because it will leave the reader out of breath by the end of it. Uh, making the reality of growing older that much more clear. It's kind of a fun passage. Uh, it reminds me of growing up around my grandparents um, and their friends when I was young. They had a, a little cabin in McCall, Idaho. We would go there every summer and spend time with my grandparents. And they would invite their, their friends over who were also, I called them geezers at the time. I, I'm less likely to now. But they would all come over. And one of the first things that they would do when they would start to start out is ask each other how they're doing. And it's like, oh, boy, here it comes. Um, what ensued next was just a long list of all the physical ailment, ailments they've been dealing with lately. And so it's like, oh, I'm good, but, you know, my arthritis has been acting up, my, you know, my hips giving me trouble. And, and now it was on. For the next 30 minutes, it was just them one-upping each other with, with you know, my, their doctor's appointments and the medications they were on and, uh, you know, the operations that were coming up. And I just remember thinking, boy, I hope I'm not like that. <laughs> when I'm their age, but guess what? <laughs> I am, and I'm younger than they were I, no, now than they were then. It's like somebody just I was at a thing last night at my, my daughter's birthday. People were coming over. They knew I had surgery, but they'd come up and say, oh, how you feeling? And I'm like, you know, I'm doing okay, but I got, you know, and I'm, sure I'm just like, I mean, just say fine, Britt. That's all they want to hear. Just say, I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm fine, all right? You don't want to hear about it. But I could tell you, I could go on, yeah. Okay, so um, this is what we, we see in this next passage. It's a poetic way of describing what it's like to get old. So it's not meant to be a gripe session or people whining, but rather a motivator to live life to the fullest unto God while we can. So he starts out by reminding us that a day is coming when we will just find it hard to enjoy life. Starting in verse 1 again. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. <laughs> like that. It's like, wow, that's bleak. And the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. I'm just not, I'm not enjoying this anymore. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. You know, when you're young, even in the darkest times, there, there's a, the, the break in the clouds where the sun kind of shines through and, and everything seems okay again. And the way he's kind of describing it, when you're old, apparently not. Ain't no sunshine, you know, is, is kind of what he's describing. It's just continually gloomy. Darkness every day, you know, great. Verse three says, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, the keepers of the house, uh, people think this either refers to the the hands and the arms, you know, the the things you would use to guard the house, you know, now they're just shaking, you know, it's not very intimidating to walk up to somebody to, you know, if if you're going to (laughs) fight, they can't stop wiggling their hands. But I like to think of the legs as the keepers of the house. It's what the foundation is, you know, it's what, what everything's standing on. And it says the keepers of the house are now trembling and then it says, and the strong men are bent. Some of you guys know this all too well. I have a bad back from time to time. And when I, my, my back goes out, uh, my doctor actually laughed at me when she saw it, which is never good. You know, Take your shirt off, and they start laughing. And it's like, thank you for building me up so much. But I, I get crooked, like an S-curve. I am bent uh, completely. And so I, I relate to this. So the strong men are bent. They, they, they're walking around with their back out. The grinders cease because they are few. That's your chompers. Uh, You know, we can put in dentures now and things like that. But in this day, when you lost your teeth, you know, soft food from there on out pretty much. So that's what that one's talking about. And then it says, and and those who look through the windows are dimmed. Um, This is talking about our eyes. And and we all know that, you know, all too well. I bought a Bible now that you can probably read from where you're sitting. (laughs) because I can't read small things anymore. I find myself you know, trying to do this all the time, even on things that aren't my phone. You know, It's like, can I blow that up? You no. Know, I can't see anything. Verse 4, it goes on, and he says, uh, the doors of the street are shut when the sound of grinding is low. So the idea of when you close the doors, you can't hear anything anymore, so your ears, that you don't hear what you used to hear. And he even goes on to, to kind of say, uh, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. So the idea is that, one, you can't sleep in, and I don't know what that is about older people, but they get up super early, so they want to sleep, but even the sound of a bird makes them wake up. So it's not something they really want to be hearing and, and getting out of bed, but the stuff they want to hear, the, the the songs of daughters, they can't hear. And so it's my wife calls it selective hearing. She accuses me this of all the time, you know, like I... I, you don't ever listen to me and it's like I, I don't hear you half the time is what I think is happening, but I'm not sure. I want to hear what she has to say in case she listens. I just can't. Verse 5 goes on to say, they are afraid also of what is high and terrors in the way. So this is the idea of you know tripping on something or you know people falling out of the bathtub or whatever you know you hear about this all the time you know I've fallen and I can't get up kind of a situation or driving at night. I can't see at night like I used to, especially if it's raining. I don't know what's going on there, but, you know, I, I, a deer coming out or whatever, it's like I'm afraid of terror is in the way now. I didn't, didn't used to be. And then it says the almond tree blossoms. Uh, if you've ever seen an almond tree blossom, guess what color it is? Beautiful white. So talking about a head of hair that, that goes gray. The grasshopper drags itself along. Uh, if you know grasshoppers, usually, you know, when, they, when they're when they're young and they can spring around. They've got spring in their step. They're flying all over the place, but it gets to the point where there's no spring in their step anymore, and they, they can't do what they used to do, so you just they drag themselves yeah. along. And then it says, and then desire fails. And, and the King James, I think, talks about the caperberry. Uh, the caperberry was something that would stimulate your appetite or your – would stimulate – I don't know how to say it in a polite way. Was it, was this, yeah, yeah. Cool. desires of sorts in case there's kids in the room. So that's what that was. So your desire fails, you know, you just, it's like the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. (laughs) That's just the way it works when you get older. It's like, I'd really like to, but you know, I just, I don't have any energy. I want to lay down and go to sleep. So that's That's how it goes. Uh, Verses six through eight, Solomon uses several phrases that commentators speculate on as trying to figure out what, what these things mean. Uh, They appear to be um, what we would call idioms um, that, that probably had a clear meaning then, but, but not so clear now. And they try to explain what they are. So some commentators say that this is the spine and the, the skull and the heart. And the I don't know how they're coming up with this because it's not real clear from what you're reading and there's no real indication. Uh, other people have different ideas. But but they all seem to be related to water, which often symbolizes life. So even though we can't be completely sure what, what they mean, it's clear they all have to do with our lives ending. So we use phrases like um, kick the bucket or pushing up daisies. We know what that means now. But you know, 100 years from now, people are going to go, huh? What does that mean? And that's kind of what we're dealing with here. So it goes on to say uh, at the end of verse 5, Man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. Um, The dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. So verse 8 you see, I don't know what the golden bowl is and the silver. I, if anybody has ideas, you can you can throw them in there. But but the idea is that life's coming to an end, and it, it's a you know, it, it's it's happening. Uh, verse eight, Solomon repeats that phrase that is used throughout Ecclesiastes about vanity, and um, so other translations, like I said, say meaningless or futile. The Hebrew word for this really just means vapor. It's the word um, hevel, and it means vapor. So the idea of um, if you can imagine, uh, if you blew out smoke or if you cold morning that that kind of that just goes away real fast. It's quick. And I think that's probably what he has in mind here because it would be kind of weird for Solomon to say, hey, look, you're going to die and you're going to go to your eternal home and your spirit is going to return to God. What a meaningless waste of time. I mean, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't make sense right there. But the idea of vapor certainly does. Um, Because other times, you know, he he refers to something as just meaningless chasing after the wind. This is important. And I think this is probably more like what James says in, in the New Testament where he says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So he wants us to understand how quickly life goes by. Death is certain. It's going to come to everyone. We don't know when it will come, so remember your creator as soon as possible because we're talking about eternity here. Um, It's a popular thought today in the the world that we die, and that's it. Nothing, Nothing after that. Um, that's, the way, that's the way it all ends. And I think we see the result of this in our society. When people are taught that there is no God, that we're all just here by a random act of chance and there's nothing after this, um, you, you begin to act accordingly, don't you? The teaching and acceptance of evolution is, is a, again, proof of this. It tells us that, that, that we're just animals. We don't matter. And so we, we begin to act like that. But if you tell people that they're created in the image of God, And that they will stand before him one day to give an account. They should take that pretty seriously. And that's exactly what Solomon's trying to drive home here. He explains even why he's written these things starting in verse 9. He said, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads. Goads are the long sticks with the point on them that they would use to, to get oxen to go where they wanted them to go. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. So he's these things that have been written down, he wants us to know this is a grace of God. The fact that these would be written down for us to to read and to to study and to know is God's grace. Don't ignore these words. They've been inspired by the Holy Spirit and preserved for us to read and to benefit from. The Bible is filled with, with wisdom for life. It's meant to be that sharp stick that some of us need to get us to go where we need to be, right? Sometimes that's what the word is. Sometimes our job is to, to comfort the afflicted, and sometimes it's to afflict the comfortable. That's what God's word does. It does both of those things. It's also meant to keep us from harm. You know, those goads, the, the way that the Bible works, sometimes it's like those safety bumpers that come up in the in the bowling alley so that you can't, you know, go off into the gutter. That's what God's word does. It keeps us going down the path where we're supposed to go. And it's also meant to be like a nail that, that holds us fast and that gives us stability in and a strong foundation to stand upon i love that it says that this is the word of one shepherd so it's such a beautiful thought you know one shepherd this is the voice of one shepherd i don't know if solomon knew what he was writing when he wrote that but i know what it means the collective words of god are found in this book it's the voice of one shepherd for us to hear and i love that he he pleads even in verse 12 my son He's he's pleading with him like a dad would with his kids. My son, listen to this. Listen. You can hear the, the heart of a father warning them. Beware of anything beyond these words. This is sufficient. This is what we need for life and godliness. Beware of anything beyond these words. We always look to add to it or take away from it. Don't do that. It's good the way God has given it to us. You know, there's just tons of, Experts out there. There's tons of places to look for answers right now. You can you can go so many different avenues and and people will tell you how you're supposed to live and how you're supposed to think and what you're supposed to believe and how you know all of this stuff, what you're supposed to tolerate, not tolerate, accept, not accept. It's all out there. I can't think of another time when it seems so hard to know the truth. It's, it's exhausting some days. You know, you try to find an answer and you, you can find out five different truths on any given. It's like, what is that? One of them's not right. Or one of them is right. Four of them aren't. Jesus boldly proclaimed in John 17 that the Bible is the word of God and it's true. This is truth. Sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. Jesus also said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. This is the the word of one shepherd, his sheep hear his voice. If you have no interest in hearing his word and following what it says, there's a better than good chance that you're not one of his sheep. And I don't say that in a judgmental way. I say that in a a way just to warn you because I worry about this a lot. How many people sit in churches week after week thinking that they're one of his sheep and they're just not. You know, I remember what it was like before I was a sheep. I didn't care what this word said. I didn't care about honoring my, my father. I didn't care about any of that. I cared about doing what I wanted to do, and that was it. Back in my goat days, I like to call them. <laughs> uh, when I became a sheep, all of that changed. I didn't do it. I didn't. All, I mean, all of a sudden, I had a desire to devour his word, to learn it, to hear it. When I read something in it that, that didn't align with what I was doing, guess what I wanted to change? I wanted to change what I was doing in a line with this because I had a father who loved me and it wasn't again that I had to do this to, to earn his favor to, you know, or to keep it. But I got, I got to do this because, because it was an act of worship. And I, I still, to this day, the way I live and the things that I do and how I obey him and how I honor him matter because one day I'm going to stand before him and he's going to say, what, what's he going to say to me? You know, I want to hear those words. Well done. Well done, son. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Enter into my my rest. And so this matters to me. You ever think about that? That day when you'll stand before him and look in his face? It's gonna be amazing. Well, Solomon wraps it all up for us in verse 13. The end of the matter, all has been heard, right? All the information's gathered, everything's he's got it all compiled, and now he's gonna he's gonna lay it on us. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. That's the end of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. Solomon's research is complete. This is his verdict. And Solomon was extremely thorough. Right, He turned over every rock along the way so we can trust his conclusions. There's nothing and no one that can satisfy our souls apart from God, our creator. That's it. So the best thing that one can do in this life is to stop viewing life only this way, life under the sun and realize there is life this way. If we if we only look this way, vanity of vanities, you know Solomon said you're chasing after the wind there's nothing here worth living for. but if we break through to where God is and that becomes part of our perspective, it all changes. Remember your creator, trust God and do what he says. you know that message has not varied at all. It was what it was the message in the garden with Adam and Eve. Trust me and do the things that please me. Right. Same thing. Same thing he wants us to do now. Well, what are the things that please God? What are his commands? It's really easy for us to overcomplicate this and to become overwhelmed with all the commands. If you think about the, the commandments in the, in the Old Testament, there were 613 different laws, ceremonial, civil, all these things. It's like if I were to say, hey, just go keep all those. Well, that's kind of daunting, isn't it? Most of us are going to go like, I don't have any hope of doing that. But Jesus kind of simplifies it for us. He gives us a helpful summary of what it all boils down to in Matthew 22, starting in verse 36. Came to him and said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, which we've already read, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. What does he mean by that? He's saying if we do these things, if we if we love God and if we love people the way he's told us to, it will cover everything he wants us to do. And when you think about that, think about just the Ten Commandments, for example. Some of them are about loving God, right? Don't don't use his name in vain. Don't have any idols. Those kinds of things. Some of them are about loving people. Don't cheat. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't kill. Don't covet. Not cheap covenant. I, said that. Um, I almost gave you an 11th commandment. And I can't do that. I don't have the authority to do that. So I'm making commandments up even now. Sorry about that. Now, um, some of you might be thinking to yourself, okay, Jesus certainly made this concise. I appreciate that. But that doesn't make it easy. Because even if you just boil it down to two, I'm still pretty bad at keeping commandments. So, oh, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbors yourself. Yeah, I can't do that. Um, And and that's true. You can't apart from being made a new creation. Unless God raises you from the dead, puts defibrillators on your spiritual being and and wakes you to to become a new creation. You're born of the spirit born from above where he places his spirit in you and writes his law upon your heart. Really gives you a heart transplant. Hey, I'm going to take your stony heart that can't do anything good. And I'm going to give you a heart of flesh that can That has to happen in order for this stuff to take place. And it's interesting because one of the first commandments Jesus talked about, like somebody came to him and said, what what must we do to be doing the works of God? And he said, believe in me. The very first word, the first thing he said, believe in Jesus. If we do that, he becomes our Lord and Savior. These other things are possible. Apart from this, they're not. So the end of all things is that we fear God. We bow before him. We give him our lives, and then we follow his commands. This is the whole duty of man, it says in that passage. And it's interesting, the word duty, um, it was added to help with the translation. But I kind of like what it says without it. Because without it, it says, to fear God and to keep his commands is, is the whole of man. The totality of life. It's everything. This is the missing piece of the puzzle. You know, God is the one who completes us. It's funny how many people think, oh, this will complete me, that will complete me, falling in love will complete me, having a kid will complete me. No, no, that's not the missing piece of the puzzle. God is what's missing from your life. And until that piece of the puzzle comes in, you won't be whole, you won't be complete. That is the itch we can't scratch, the thirst we can't quench, the, the hole in our soul that we can't figure out how to fill, even though we try with so many different things. We have to be reconciled to our creator and made right with him. That's the only answer to the meaningless that exists on this earth. And when that happens, life is no longer vanity. It's no longer meaningless. We're no longer chasing after the wind. We finally found what we were made to be looking for. You know, it's so cool to me that God could have left us to fend for ourselves. He could have left us with what we wanted, life under the sun. He could have said, all right, have it your way. There you go. But he, he broke through. He sent Jesus. I'm so grateful that he did. I cannot imagine. You know, I was, I don't think I'd be alive, honestly. And I'm not saying that in a really you know, depressing way. But I was at the end of, I was 19 years old when I became a Christian. And I didn't want to live anymore. I just, I tried so many things that nothing really worked. And, I, and, I, and then all of a sudden, Christ came into my life. And it doesn't mean my life hasn't been hard at times. It doesn't mean that we don't go through things that are difficult. But that idea that he's with me every day, that his presence is continually there, is everything. I'm not alone. And I have hope of a future when everything will be restored in a place where all of this stuff we hate, all of this garbage under the sun that Solomon would call vanity and meaningless, goes away. And we're in his kingdom, in his presence. This is this is where life really will, will be um, what, what we've been missing, what we've been looking for. If you don't know him, today is the day to remember your creator and to bow before him and to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. He's done all the heavy lifting. All you bring to the party is your sin. You repent of it. You turn to him and believe. It's that simple. And if you haven't do that, please don't leave today without doing that. There's a verse that um, it's, it's almost a weird verse to read in John twelve twenty five. Whoever loves his life will lose it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. It's a stark contrast. It sounds weird, but I can relate to it so much. Uh, Father, I just pray right now for your word to have its effect in our lives. Thank you so much that um, um, this is truth. This is what we can stand upon. And thank you for, for going to great lengths to give it to us, Lord. This this word has traveled for a long time to get to us here in this room today, and it has a benefit for those who will, who will heed it. I pray, Father, that we would um, remember you continually, that every day we would think about who you are and all that you've done for us, and that we would feel loved and secure and, and just full of joy and peace knowing that, Lord, and that it would affect how we live, uh, that we would just be different. We would... It would be evident to anybody who sees us that Christ lives here. And so, Lord, use this church and this community. Please, Lord, help us to to take this word of salvation, this hope for, for sinners that need it into this world. And, Lord, may it may it just change the people around us. May it change us. And uh, may you be glorified in it all, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.